So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. Be prepared. You are up against more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon that God has issued. We are fighting battles of spiritual Warfare, And although spiritual warfare is not explicitly in our text this morning, it's everywhere. It's all over it. And what we have spiritual eyes to see as we talk about removing false idols, false worship from our life, that there are heavy, heavy spiritual implications for us, for those we love, for the church. And as we live in a culture that is trying to pull us in many directions to many false idols and destructive ways and sin, And we opened up a series last week called Heart Matters, Lessons from a King. And we are in uh, week two today. And I just want to bring us back into the story a little bit in case you missed it. Or or maybe you need a refresher. And that is King Josiah became king at the age of eight. That's right. It's pretty hard to believe that someone that's eight years old could rule a country. But he becomes king at eight. And he starts following in the ways of God and his father David at age 16. And then something really, really profound happens at age 26. At age 26, he is rebuilding the temple, and as he's rebuilding the temple, uh, they find the book of the law. That was uh, the Pentateuch, right? The first five uh, books of the Bible that talk about God's law, that talk about God's promises, how to walk in peace uh, with a holy God. That had been lost, and now it's found. And and Josiah has this encounter with God as he hears uh, the word read to him. He tears his clothes and responds with humility. He responds uh, with repentance. He had this encounter with God. And we can have an encounter with God when we hear his word, when, when it's preached, when we read it. And we talked about that last week. So how, how, how do we respond like King Josiah? How do we live out our faith as an example or following the example of King Josiah? And, and we said it starts with repentance. It starts with changing your mind and your heart about sin and going in the other direction. An attitude shift, a life shift. And repentance won't happen in the world until it first happens in the church. Amen? Amen. And after we repent, we need to remove our idols. That's what we're going to be talking about today. As we continue our story, we're going to see that Josiah uh, goes through great, goes to great extent to remove the idols in the land of Judah. If the Israelites were going to be transformed into the people that God wanted them to be, they had to remove and get rid of the idolatry that was plaguing them. You think about in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is like, take off this and put on this. This is the takeoff part, right? Removing the idols that are bringing destruction. And since we're going to be talking about idolatry a lot today, I, I want to define it for us uh, because it's plagued God's people for a long time. It, it plagues us today. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes on to say, not to make a carved image. God alone being worshiped is very important to God. So what is idolatry? Uh, It's being satisfied by something that you treasure more than God. It's being satisfied by something that you treasure more than God. It's a, a misalignment of desire. 
And it's totally a matter of the heart. It's totally a matter of the heart. It begins with a craving, right? Maybe even a thought that the enemy puts in our mind or our sinful flesh comes up with, and then it turns into this desire and all of a sudden gives birth to sin, which gives birth, which leads to death, right? So why are idols dangerous? If, if this is what an idol is, why is it dangerous? Well, I think we all experientially can say when we've encountered them in our own lives or in the loved ones' lives, we've seen the destruction. We've experienced it. It has devastating effects. But also, even, and even probably more importantly, it's because the wrath of God is coming upon idolatry. That's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 6. The wrath of God is coming upon idolatry. God deserves all of our affections. We're made to treasure him above everything else. And when we remove the idols that prevent us from doing that, we can see powerful transformation. Our vision at Fox Valley Church is to be a revolution of transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere we go. We're here today to see your life transformed. We have everything at this church, all the programs, all the ministries, all the missions. It's to see people's lives transformed for Jesus Christ. Our main idea today is removing false idols results in spiritual transformation. Removing false idols results in spiritual transformation. It is a key part of being transformed into God's image and to experience growth, to experience joy, to experience abundance of life and to bring freedom to those around us, to ourselves. And I I see two uh, main forms of of idolatry that I wanted to unpack. Um, The first one is to gotta have it. And the second one is uh, you can't lose it kind of sounds like cold stone creamery uh, sizes of ice cream, right? They have like the like it, the love it, the gotta have it. And I'm like, you don't have anything bigger than that? You don't have some barrel or something, some giant waffle cone? Um, so there's, there's the gotta have it. And, and what I like to think of this is you spend your time and energy desiring it. I want that and I can't think about anything else until I get it. And I think about Eve, uh, I think about Eve in, in the garden and, and Adam, and you can just, uh, you get this picture when you read Genesis, that, that God has said, this is all yours, the garden. Worship me, enjoy me. It's awesome, it's great. But don't do this one thing, right? Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. That's not good for you, but enjoy everything else. And, and what happens? The serpent, Satan, is very cunning. He's very uh, sharp and astute. And so he tempts Eve, and he starts to uh, fill her mind with thoughts. God wants to hold you back. He doesn't want what's best for you. That sounds kind of like today, some of, the, some of the things we hear in our, in our culture, right? Uh, he doesn't want what's best for you. You can be more. And so what happens is Eve desires it, and she eats it, and Adam follows. Then, then there's the can't lose it. And when I think about this, I think about Lord of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? It's, right, so good. And you, you see this picture of, of Bilbo Baggins on the, on the right-hand side there and Frodo on the left. And there's this ring, the one ring of power, and it totally corrupts the soul. It's this picture of sin. It's, it's, it was never meant to be handed and, and, and taken over by a person. And yet, you see these hobbits crave it. And actually, there, there's other people in, in the movie, that, in the book, that get totally ruined by it. It's this, I, I can't lose it. I have to keep it. I sleep with it under my pillow. I, I treasure it. I desire it. It's temptation, right? It's so strong. It enslaves us. It brings destruction, but it looks so beautiful. Uh, both of these are forms of idolatry that we face. Now, I believe some of you are here today, and you're not where you want to be. Now, I don't mean that literally, because I know you all are just so happy to be at Fox Valley Church this morning, right? Amen? Uh, but spiritually, 
spiritually, you're not where you want to be. You know there's some things in your life that need uh, to change to experience freedom, to experience God's best for your life. And, and some of these idols that have, have taken captive, taken hold in your heart, and, and maybe you lack courage to deal with them. And my prayer is as we, as we read God's word, as the spirit of God stirs this morning, that, that he would give you courage. The Holy Spirit would give you courage to make a decision today uh, to rid yourself of these idols, to follow the example of King Josiah. And we're going to see him uh, have a total annihilation of idols in the land. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 23, 2 Kings chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 4. And would you go ahead and stand with me as we honor uh, God's word this morning? Verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priest of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out the temple of the Lord, all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests from whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of the heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. Let's pray. <clears throat> um, Father, as we read your word this morning, would it cut, just like it says in Hebrews chapter four, would it cut to the soul? Would it speak directly into the secret places of our hearts? And Father, would you move in power right now? And God, all of the spiritual warfare going on right now in this community, going on right now on this property, in this room, Father, would your spirit and would a host of angels be present so we can have courage to do what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> so King Manasseh is Josiah's grandfather, and remember, he's a bad dude. He was a bad king. And just two chapters earlier, you can read about how he put Asherah in the temple. In 2 Kings 21, verse 7. So King Manasseh totally defiled the temple. He brought false gods into the house of the Lord and built altars for Baal and Asherah poles. And now Josiah is removing them. These idols were preventing God's people from properly worshiping him. And so Josiah destroys Baal. He destroys Asherah. And you may recognize those names. They sound familiar to you, right? They're used a lot in, in Scripture, and, and they're uh, used together a lot in Scripture. So he, here's a picture. Um, the Israelites struggled big time resisting these two dudes up here, right? Or a woman and a dude. And we can't really understand why it would have been difficult for them to resist the worship of these false idols. But God tells them, do not do it. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, he says, you shall not plant any tree as an Asherah beside the altar of the Lord your God. This was uh, direct disobedience that many of the kings were doing. So Asherah, she's the mother goddess of fertility, right? The promise of life, and Baal was the supreme storm god who many consider to be uh, just the most important god because of the false uh, promise, right? The promise of rain and, and therefore crops and therefore provision and, and livelihood and wealth. <clears throat> 
Both of these gods resulted in sexual perversion. You can just imagine, put two and two together, right? Fertility god, what would happen when they worshiped a fertility god? And um, they offered, uh, uh, for Baal, sometimes there was even child sacrifice that happened with this, and, and we don't understand this, but basically these two gods, to summarize, offered sensuality and wealth, right? These idols op- represented sex and wealth, and I'm just really glad that we don't struggle with this today, right? <laughs> we totally struggle with this today. Um, so much of this was, was taking place in the house of the Lord, God's temple, and that's sad to me. Right, God's where his very presence lived. These idols are, are, are worshiping, they're worshiping him right next, right next to the things of God, right next to God's presence. It's like they're, they're mocking God. False worship. False worship. We're going to unpack um, a, a little bit more some of our idols and how we too idolize sex, we too idolize wealth uh, big time in, in our culture, big time uh, today. But if we're going to see transformation that God wants, we have to first remove them uh, from the church. If we want to see our community, right, transformed, and we expect people to remove idols in the community, they first need to be removed inside uh, the church. To say it a little bit differently, if we want to see transformation outside of the church, it needs to come first inside of the church. We need to remove the idolatry in our own lives We need to lead by example, and we're going to have a chance later in the service to do that. There's a reason why I came up here so early in the service. We're going to take time, real time, to rest in God's presence and do something about our idols. We're so quick to look at the sins of the world, right, and and call them out and call out the devastation, which is, is there, but we ignore parts of our own hearts, right? We think our idols are not that big of a deal, or I can manage it. We need to have spiritual eyes like Josiah to see what's happening, that these idols are actually preventing us from flourishing, from truly worshiping God and enjoying God. We have to see that there's something deeper happening spiritually. And, and what do I mean by that? Here, here's what I mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. The Apostle Paul makes a very stunning uh, truth, and he says that false worship, meaning uh, sacrifices... Two idols are sacrifices to demons. Sacrifices to idols are sacrifices to demons. This means idolatry, false worship, is unto demons and Satan, and that's scary. And maybe you're thinking, I don't play with a Ouija board. I've never done that. Or do seances or have someone read my card. You know, whatever, fill in the blank. But if you in the secret places of your heart are idolizing uh, something else, there is a major spiritual battle going on, and we need eyes to see that. That should be a sobering thought for us. And if you aren't sure about what your idols are, I'm going to ask a couple questions that hopefully reveals some truth to you. Uh, One question would be this. uh, What do you daydream about? When you find yourself uh, bored during my sermon, what comes to your mind, right? (laughs) Or, Or when you're at home and you're tired, what are you thinking about? Laying in bed, Where does your mind run to? Just think about that for a second. Another question would be, where do you spend your money? What would your bank account say that you care about? That's significant. Or or what do you treasure? Just what do you uh, keep and possess and polish and make look good? It could be an object. It could be a car. It could be just uh, something deeper uh, in your heart. These are desires of, of our hearts, and I, I want 
and I'm praying, and I've been praying this week that God would reveal this and that you would care enough to do something about it today. So what sinful practice needs to be removed from your life? What sinful practice or an idol needs to be removed from your life? What's promising you joy? It looks good, it feels good, but it brings destruction and it rots away at your soul. I, I want to unpack a couple. Because I, I don't just want to, I'm hesitant to just call out a couple, like, like the church just has a few we like to talk about, you know? There's so many we can unpack, but I, I think these are the ones that are really corrupting us and so I'm going to talk about them. The first is sexual morality, right? Uh, living in a sexual relationship outside of marriage or, or being in pornography. I, I looked up a, a study on Barna, and it's a pretty reputable uh, company. And, and so they had this study on people, Christians who identify as being born again. And of born again Christians, 54% of born again men look at porn on a monthly basis. That means even if we're doing a fantastic job discipling our men, that maybe just less than one out of every two men here do that. For women, it, it was less. It was 15%. But women under the age of 24, it was significantly higher. And we've seen, I've experienced as a pastor, the destruction. It destroys families. For this, this small amount of pleasure, you give your life to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, Paul says something so staggering. He says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just as we're talking about the temple that Solomon built to, that was filled with God's glory and the people were defiling it with Asherah and false worship, when we act on our sexual desires outside of a biblical marriage context, you are doing the exact same thing. You're defiling the temple Another one is, is wealth and, and materialism, right? For, for the Israelites, it was provision for their crops. That was their livelihood. They were farmers, and, and they would trust in Baal to bring rain. What's really ironic about that is God says, right, in Judges, or he says in Deuteronomy, but we see it happen in Judges, when you go to false gods and worship false gods, I will bring famine, <laughs> So actually, they're going to these gods for rain, and God says that's precisely the reason why it's not going to rain. But we too have this, I, this materialism, and so many of us are, are filthy rich. We're so wealthy, and we have so many toys, and, and if you find yourself needing the nicest phone and car, you have to really ask yourself, what am I missing in my life with God that's causing me to search for it in these possessions? What is the hole in my soul that doesn't find satisfaction in God and my Savior? For some of us, it's, it's drugs or alcohol, right? Some of you are addicts and you need serious help and intervention, but others of you uh, maybe aren't addicts, and, and I think we've um, made this taboo in the church, right? You're scared to say you struggle with alcohol because it means you're an alcoholic, but what if there's a place to say, hey, I actually run to this and it comforts me and it makes me feel better because life is really, really hard. And you have to seek the Lord and ask God, what am I, why am I going to this instead of going to you? And you need the people of God to speak into your life and help you see if this is an issue that you need to work on. A lot of these things are good things, right? When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it's a bad thing. Have you heard that? That's not original to me, but when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it's a bad thing. 
And so there are things that are maybe seemingly really, really good, like making good grades or, or pleasing my parents, but it becomes everything. One of the things in, in the church that I've noticed is, is with marriage. I think there, there's actually some idolatry of marriage as an ultimate reality. Here's the truth. Marriage is not an ultimate reality. It's actually a metaphor. It's a metaphor for God's love for the church. God up in heaven said, well, what can I do to show my people how much I love them? How could I get the message across? I know I will create a man and he will be the head and I will create a woman, a woman and she will be his helper. And as they submit to one another, right? And as the man lays his life down for the woman and the woman uh, serves the man, right? As they mutually do this together, that's what will show people how much I love them. That will represent the gospel. That's what I'm going to do. Marriage is not an ultimate reality. It's a metaphor for God and his love for the church. Don't confuse a gift with the giver. I want to keep reading verse 7 and 8. Let's turn there. It says in verse 7, And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. So he's removing the priest from false worship. He's removing the male prostitutes uh, that were associated with Asherah from the temple. And in verse 8, we see that he gets rid of the altars in Geba, which is about seven miles north of Jerusalem. And he gets rid of the altars in Beersheba, which is about 40 miles south. What this is saying is he's not just getting rid of the idols in the temple. He's not just getting rid of the idols in Jerusalem or just outside of Jerusalem. He is going throughout the land. It's a full-on mission. Right? And you can read in, in the following verses, which we're not going to touch on today, he just goes on this like action movie montage, getting rid of all the idols. Uh, when you think of an action movie montage, what movie do you think of? Come on, out loud, someone share. Rocky, yes, Rocky, right, Rocky Four. I just, I totally picture Joe Side, da, 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 you know, going to this place and going to this place, and I'm going to get rid of all these idols, all of them. It's this beautiful, uh, beautiful picture, not partially all. Let's keep reading in verse, uh, we're skipping ahead to verse 15 for time's sake. It says this, moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Uh, that altar with the high place, he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah, and as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God had proclaimed, who had predicted these things. Then he said, What is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of uh, Samaria." Write down on your phone or in your notes in your Bible, 1 Kings 13. Write that down right next to what we just read. 1 Kings 13, because what we read about is a young unnamed prophet from about 300 years ago predicts what's going to happen. He predicts Josiah's life. He prophesies that a king will come named Josiah. 
even uh, to the point of talking about uh, the priest's bones on the graves. It's that uh, specific. So here's what Josiah does. Uh, You know, he probably gets a shovel, and he has a whole bunch of people get shovels, and they dig up at the grave site where the false priests were buried. So so they go to this grave site, and, and they dig up, and they actually take the bones. They take the bones out, and they put the bones on the altar of false worship. Why? I love this. Josiah is so visionary. This is what he does. He puts the bones on this false altar of worship and says, look at that. False worship leads to death. It's, this, it's a vision for the people. You do this, you mess with this junk, and it leads to death. And that's the vision he gives uh, the people. He's even going to go on, he kills the priests who promoted false worship. It leads to death of your souls, and he wants that as a visual reminder. And what, what I love about this prophecy coming true, it reveals that God is just, or excuse me, Josiah is just one part of God's big story. God has a plan. And he planned to use Josiah way before Josiah came on the scene. And he planned to encounter this king. He planned uh, to change his heart and change a generation uh, of God's people. He planted uh, a vision in the heart of Josiah to make a difference, to be a man who lived for what mattered. God had this unbelievable plan. It's it's beautiful to think about. Let's finish our text, verse 19 and, and 20. It says, And Josiah removed all the shrines, also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. I love that at the end. Then he goes home. I did all this work, now I'm going back home. What Josiah does here is staggering. Some, maybe if, if you're winsome or, or if you're pretty wise in, in your text, you, you caught what just happened. Samaria and Bethel were in the northern kingdom of Israel. So remember, the kingdom was separated a long time ago into northern Israel and into Judah. And Josiah says, getting rid of the idols in Judah is not enough. That place up there, that belongs to God too. There's a remnant of God's people in Israel, and I'm not going to have false worship happen for the people of God. It's amazing. Do you ever clean out your garage? You clean out your garage. Um, I'm I'm really bad at this, honestly. I got to confess. You know, we're busy. We have three little kids. I'm a pastor. You know, like, who has time for this? But anyway, so my wife and I, we'll go on walks with our kids. We'll go on bike rides. And what's really funny, a quirk about Emily is she loves clean garages. So she will make a comment. And it's like this, oh, look at that garage. That is so clean, you know? It's like this longing for a clean garage. That might be an idol, honey. I don't know. Um, But... There's this, there's this desire for, for order, right? Praise God, we need that. And so she desires it, and I'm just really sorry, honey, I don't clean mine more. I'm being convicted of that, honestly, right in this moment. I'm going to try to do that more. Um, but you see this picture here, and, and what happens when you do clean your garage is, is you work to lengths to organize it. And maybe if you're really devoted, you're going to do some deep cleaning. But what happens is when you're mostly done and you're exhausted— you're like, oh shoot, I forgot about that loft. 
area. There's some paint cans that probably should be removed. Oh, there's a spider web in that corner. You know what? I've worked hard. I, I, I'm tired. And you justify not completing the job. We do this when it comes to our idols. We, we get most of it out. Most of it. King Josiah got all of it. All of it. He had no excuses. He cleaned it all out. And that's what we want to see happen. For complete transformation, every idol must be removed. That's my other point. For complete transformation, every idol must be removed. Not just the easy ones. All of them. You can't manage it on your own. Don't keep this little secret place that eats away at your soul. It might not be a thing. It might be a person. You see what Josiah does? He gets rid of the priests, the people who are promoting false worship. If you just get rid of the false worship, the priest will come back and do it again. You have to sometimes remove people from your life. Now, I am absolutely, I just had this thought come to me. I am not saying go kill someone, okay? That did not come from me. Don't follow Josiah's literal example there, please. Um, but you maybe need to remove someone from your life. Someone that, that maybe promises pleasure or, or beauty, but really is bringing destruction. It's bringing you further from God, a relationship. This spiritual warfare going on. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against uh, the spiritual powers. The enemies we face, hear this, the enemies we face are not our idols. The enemies we face are not the people and the objects that we treasure. The enemy we face is Satan, who is behind the idolatry and wants to make you sin. That's the enemy. That's what we have to work together. We have to put on the armor of God, and I don't have time to unpack all the spiritual weaponry uh, that we have. But one of them is this book right here. It's called The Sword of Truth. It's an offensive weapon. It's to offensively go after the enemy. Or to think of the metaphor of digging out, piercing out whatever idols are in our hearts. And what does this uh, book say that helps us with our idols? What does this book, what's some truth that, that we can have? And, and I'm going to say this. You and me were made to worship. We were made to idolize. We were made to treasure. We were made to want security and comfort. That's all biblical. But we were made to find it in God. And brokenness and sin causes us to find it in other things. So, so what does the gospel have to say about that? What does the gospel have to say about the brokenness and the idolatry? How does the gospel combat my idolatry? That Jesus Christ has stepped into my brokenness to set me free. That Jesus Christ, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The gospel of Jesus Christ, is, it's God's response to our brokenness. That Jesus saw it and that he came down to this earth to live a perfect life because he knew he couldn't. To, to die on the cross, his blood shedding, the blood that we should have shed, right? In our place, him dying, but then him conquering death and coming back to life to offer us life, to offer us 
uh, joy and abundance and freedom. That's what the gospel has done. We have to run uh, to Jesus. You and I will not have to face the wrath of God if we're in Christ. Unbelievable. Thank you, Jesus. That, what I said in Colossians 3, 6, the wrath of God is coming upon idolatry, not for the sons and daughters of God who are in Christ, who are made new. But if we want to be transformed, if we want to honor God with our lives, if we want to experience life abundantly, we have to put our idolatry to death. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Or in the words of one of our elders, Adam, first degree murder, right? We have to put it to death. And the only way you're going to replace an idol, I heard this somewhere, I don't even know who it was from. The only way you're going to replace an idol is, or the only way you're going to get rid of an idol is to replace it with a better idol. The only way you're going to get rid of your idol is to replace it with Jesus Christ. He's better, and you play a part. You play a part in that. Will you bow to idols, or will you stand for Christ? We're going to take uh, the next 10 to 15 minutes uh, to remove some, an idol in our life, or, or maybe multiple idols in, in our lives. And what, what I want to happen here is the first few minutes, I, I want us to, to just listen to God uh, we've created some extra space here. It's still not a ton of space. There's a reason why we need to build another worship center. Um, but we've created some space, and I do want to invite you, it's okay to get a little uncomfortable, to come down front here and actually kneel down. This is a way for you to show obedience, to show humility. And so I, I really want to encourage you, if God's nudging, you can come down and just bow down at the cross, bow down to your Savior, and ask for his help. And then what we're going to do is you have these uh, sheets of paper either on your chair or in the back seats of your chair. And you can take this and ask God, what is an idol that you're calling me to remove? And what we're going to do just a little bit later in the service is you're, you can write that down, you can fold it up, and you can go, there's some pins, push pins down here, and you can push pin it to the cross. But only do this if you actually are choosing to turn away from these idols. Don't just do it for show. God knows your heart. God wants your heart. But if today you care more about God's glory and honoring God than you care about looking maybe a little bit embarrassed, take this step of faith. You know, that's, that's very convicting to me. Do we care more about saving face? Someone's going to find out that I have an issue, that I have a struggle, or do you care more about honoring God and worshiping God this morning? So I want to invite you to just take some time to think about that. The band's going to play a song. They're going to worship over us. And we're going to have time for prayer to just remove this from our lives. I'm going to pray. Um, Father, uh, God, right now, we need your Spirit's power. There is spiritual warfare happening. God, I can even feel the internal wrestling in our souls. Can I really, really get rid of this today? Can I choose to stop this today? What's preventing me from worshiping you, God? God, give us courage. Give us strength. And would all of us be humble enough? God, would I be the first person to write something down? We need you, Jesus. We need you. Reveal to us. Reveal those empty parts of our soul that could be filled by you. And we ask your power to move right now in Jesus' name. Amen.